You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in our rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. So uh, FritzFrog is a botnet that we have been tracking since 2020. Uh, Akamai originally discovered it, and we were tracking it uh, ever since. And a few months ago, when we uh, inspected the code, we have noticed some very interesting additions, mainly the Log4Shell edition. That's Ori David, a security researcher at Akamai. The research we're discussing today is titled Frog4Shell. Fritz Frog Botnet adds one days to its arsenal. Well, let's back up a little bit and talk about Fritz Frog. What's the history of this particular botnet? How did it begin and who were they targeting over the years? So, uh, as I said before, uh, we've seen uh, Fritz Frog uh, since 2020 being active. And its traditional targets were uh, vulnerable SSH servers. So, uh, SSH servers exposed to the internet with weak credentials. And that Fritz Frog uh, brute forced and uh, took control over. So it didn't target any specific industry. Uh, it simply scanned the internet, identified SSH servers, and attempted to brute force them. And what was the Fritz Frog botnet then used for? Who, who did they aim it at? It's not, uh, like I said before, it's not targeted, uh, but rather their motivation is purely financial they would compromise as many machines as possible, and then they would use those machines to uh, mine uh, Monero. And there's actually an interesting feature for FritzFrog where they have an antivirus module. They know that the uh, machines that they compromise very often uh, have additional malware installed on it because, well, it's an SSH box with a Wix password exposed to the internet. And because of that, uh, they identify a competing malware that uh, consumes uh, a lot of CPU and simply uh, terminates them. And then they have all of the CPU for themselves. 
Yeah, it's a mixed blessing, I guess, right? <laughs> it's an interesting approach. Well, let's dig into the updates that you all tracked here. I mean, they started using log for shell as an infection vector here. Um, before we dig into how uh, uh, Fritz Frog is using that, can you give us just a quick uh, reminder of what we're talking about with log for shell? So uh, log for shell rocked the world two years ago at the end of uh, 2021. It was a very high profile vulnerability and for a good reason. It was a vulnerability in a Java library called Log4j. It is a logging library, which is very commonly used by Java applications. And what the vulnerability was, by getting the application to log a specific payload, attackers could get the Java application to download a malicious Java class and execute it. So in a very simple manner, they could get a code execution on a, all sorts of Java applications across the world. And like I said before, the library was very commonly used and the exploitation was very, very simple. You simply need to get a line logged into a log file by the application, and that's it. You get code execution. So Log4Shell was a really big deal for another reason, and that is it is really hard to patch. So let's say we have our, I don't know, traditional code execution vulnerability, let's say in Windows Server. It's pretty easy to determine if you're vulnerable. You'll check your Windows machines and you'll see if your version is affected. With Log4Shell, because the vulnerability was in a Java library, it was not as trivial to know if a application is vulnerable or even harder to tell if a machine is vulnerable. This uh, made Log4Shell extremely hard to patch. And so where does that leave us today? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, after uh, Log4Shell, there was a real flurry of patching, but I, I suppose there's still plenty of systems that are left vulnerable? Yes. So um, the initial discovery uh, of Log4Shell uh, led to really a month-long or months-long uh, frenzy of patching where everyone was trying to identify where they are using Log4j um, and what applications, uh, third-party applications that they use, use Log4j. And during this uh, initial uh, frenzy, some applications received more attention than others. So uh, obviously, uh, applications that were exposed to the internet were prioritized. So anything that was exposed to the internet and was vulnerable to log for log for j to log for shell was either patched or compromised by now. So Fritzrog actually poses an additional risk to another type of asset, and that is internal assets. And like I said before, the traditional log for the log for shell exploitation relied on access from the internet. But if you had a legacy Java application somewhere inside your network that didn't receive communication from the internet, uh, it was uh, safe because no one could reach it, so no one could exploit it. What Fritzrock does is that whenever it breaches any machine, it will scan the entire internal network of this machine. And now let's say we have just a random SSH server, and uh, that is not really important, but it was compromised by Fritzrock. 
And now this machine is scanning your entire network and it will find the leftover, if you will, applications that were not patched. We'll be right back. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So machines that that people perhaps had assumed were safe because they weren't facing the internet, uh, Fritz Frog has found a way to exploit them. Yeah, so in many cases, uh, internal machines were patched as well, but because the external machines received uh, most of the attention, uh, we believe that the malware developers chose to target, uh, believed that they could target internal machines that might have been neglected. Well, can you walk us through the process here of, of how uh, Fritz Frog uh, attacks a system and finds its way in and then uh, makes its way through? An interesting fact about uh, Fritz Frog is that it operates uh, in entirely uh, in a peer-to-peer manner. So there's no C2 server, uh, but rather all of the different uh, bots communicate with each other uh, in a peer-to-peer network. And this is relevant for the exploitation as well. So the payload is also delivered through this network to uh, newly compromised uh, machines. So Fritzfog has uh, two uh, ways of propagations currently, and that is SSH brute force and log4shell exploitation. So uh, Fritzfog will identify targets. It will do that by parsing the... um, certain system configuration files. And for example, it will identify your known SSH host from the compromised machine and will then attempt to connect over SSH to these servers. So if the compromised machine previously connected to an SSH server, Fritzfrog will attempt to do the same thing. And besides uh, these more targeted targets, uh, Fritzfrog will also just randomize IP addresses into the internet and scan them. And that's for the SSH brute force. As for the log4j exploitation, so again, Fritzfrog will generate targets randomly and from the internal network. So it will start by enumerating the internal network. It will scan ports that often host applications that are known to be vulnerable to log4shell. And it will then just blast them, blast them with a massive payload that attempts to exploit log4shell, I would say a brute force approach that contains a lot of different possibilities, hoping that at least one of them triggers uh, the log4shell vulnerability. Once the vulnerability is triggered, uh, interestingly, the newly compromised machine will connect back to the bot, uh, which hosts its own LDAP server, and it will fetch the payload from the bot. So like I said before, 
the botnet is entirely peer-to-peer. And this is also true for the uh, log4shell exploitation. The uh, machine will connect back to the bot over LDAP. And so this is also a pretty unique thing for uh, FritzFrog regarding the log4shell exploitation. It strikes me that that you know, being configured as a peer-to-peer thing, and, and as you said, you know, downloading large files, um, that strikes me as being potentially noisy here. So, so how does it avoid detection? Yeah, so Fritzrock does a few noisy things, but at the same time, it attempts to avoid detection. The main thing would be that it tries its best to not touch disk. Um, and operate uh, inside uh, only in, uh, inside the memory, uh, the volatile memory. It utilize, utilizes uh, two uh, mechanisms of the Linux uh, operating systems to, to do that. Yeah, it will, uh, when possible, uh, if given the, uh, the right permissions, it will not write any files to disk and will also, uh, only work inside the RAM. So what are your recommendations for folks to best protect themselves against this? So first, I would say is the most important thing to protect from FritzFrog, but other botnets and automated uh, scanners as well, would be to identify your internet-exposed applications. Uh, Because a lot of times there are these uh, SSH servers that no one knows about, and and this is how FritzFrog gets in. So I, first, you need to identify the servers and then harden them. Specifically for FritzFrog, uh, SSH passwords uh, should be not used if possible. Uh, SSH keys would be better. And if you use the password, it should be strong. Obviously, uh, you should patch for uh, log for shell if you're still vulnerable somehow. That is for the uh, initial entry for FritzFrog. I would also say that uh, network segmentation can really help prevent a lateral movement of such a worm-like botnet. If you uh, have a flat network, FritzFrog will simply scan everything and exploit it, uh, if possible. And so really, uh, I think that a good firewall policy and good segmentation can help contain such a breach uh, in a really significant way. You know, Aurea, I think you and I have both uh, demonstrated tremendous discipline here in resisting the urge to uh, to use frog puns throughout our conversation <laughs> here. And I just want to say that uh, when it comes to patching your log for shell, you should really hop to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to Ori David from Akamai for joining us. The research is titled Frog for Shell. Fritz Frog Botnet adds one days to its arsenal. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. 
Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Thank you.